If you can turn your Bibles to uh, Psalm 128, now we get the, uh, the Psalms you've been waiting for. Page 624 of the uh, Church Bibles. Psalm 128 and Psalm 129 we're looking at this evening. Psalm 128, a song of ascents. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots round your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. And may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And Psalm 129, a song of ascents. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. But they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. But the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof which withers before it can grow. With it the reaper cannot fill his hands, nor the one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Well, if you haven't seen the film Les Miserables yet, you should do. Uh, partly because it's, uh, it's a great film, but uh, more importantly, it will make life much easier for me and Jeff when we make the many illustrations that um, we'll be milking the film for this week. Um, Anne Hathaway won a BAFTA for the Best Supporting Actress in her role as Fontaine. And uh, if you've seen the film, you will know just how moving her rendition was of I Dreamed a Dream. It's a very sad song. Um, And before she starts, she says these words. There was a time when men were kind, when their voices were soft and their words inviting. There was a time when love was blind and the world was a song. And the song was exciting. There was a time. Then it all went wrong. And she goes into the song, I Dreamed a Dream in Time Gone By, which I'm sure many of you will know by now. When hope was high and life worth living, I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. And she ends with the words, I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living. So different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. For Fontaine, the life was hell. She had a daughter from a man who then left her. And she had to leave her daughter with a a couple who um, she didn't realise were actually uh, abusing her. And while she was busy out working, sending money to, to keep her at that place. And when she was unfairly dismissed from her job, she uh, ends up selling her hair and her teeth and resorting to prostitution to to survive. It's sad because we know from a Christian viewpoint there is always hope. 
there is a forgiving God. There is always the love of God that is there even when life may be hell for us. Well, this evening we are continuing our sermon series looking at the Psalms of Ascent. And in this series we've been taking the Psalms in pairs, which produces some interesting combinations. And possibly nowhere in the series is the contrast sharper than in the pairing that we have this evening. Psalm 128 is full of blessing, prosperity, fruitfulness. It is dreamland. And then comes Psalm 129, which is full of oppression and wickedness. Why are they next to each other? How do we bring blessing and, and oppression together? Well, as Jeff has said before in this, this series, these are to do with real life. And uh, the journey of the pilgrims would have been marked by joy and, and disappointment, by celebration and mourning. And the good news is that although Psalm 129 is full of, of oppression, it is not devoid of hope. Even in that oppression, the Lord is very present. Well, the the two points I have this evening are taken from a line from each of the two Psalms, which we will look at separately and see how they they come together. The first of those is, Blessed are all who fear the Lord. Blessed are all who fear the Lord. First verse of Psalm 128. And what we have in this short Psalm is is a promise and a condition. But we need to be careful how we put them together. Um, because if we're not careful, it can lead to a false theology. But first we have the promise in verse 2, blessing and prosperity will be yours. Blessing and prosperity will be yours. Blessing is a great word, isn't it? I'm one of those people who likes to sign off emails with, uh, with the word blessings. If I'm writing to fellow Christians, I find regards a little bit, uh, a little bit bland. Uh, best wishes doesn't quite acknowledge our reliance on, on good and his, uh, God and his goodness. But what does it mean to be blessed? What do we mean when we say, God bless you? In some ways, it's to receive something good from God. And in Old Testament times, God's blessing was usually expressed in terms of physical or material terms. Um, So God's promise to Abraham, remember in Genesis 17, the so-called Abrahamic covenant, was that God would bless him through making him the father of many nations, through giving him many descendants, and through giving them the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. It's land, it's its descendants, it's blessing of other nations. And in Psalm 128, we see blessing expressed in terms of two basic areas of life. We have work and we have home. Work as in a a good harvest, which will produce much food, and family, in the sense of a wife who will bear many sons, who in turn will be able to work the fields and produce a bigger harvest and We'll be able to carry on the family name, etc. So we have the images here of growth and fertility, where it says your life will be like a fruitful vine. A fruitful vine producing grapes for wine, which itself is a symbol of prosperity and richness. It says your sons will be like olive shoots, producing olives, which we looked at last Sunday morning as, as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Oil, again, being pros- prosperous. Well, I think today in the West we don't really appreciate the concept of a, of a good harvest, do we? Uh, the joy and the, the celebration that, uh, that that causes, because we have um, so much. I was at a, a breakfast uh, for church leaders this uh, week, um, organised by Christians Against Poverty. And uh, the speaker was there, was describing how he went to, to somebody who needed debt counselling, and... Um, 
It was in such a state that the first thing he did when he arrived there was just go out and do some shopping for them and, and bring back some, some food to put in the, in the fridge. And he came back and filled the fridge and um, the, the woman's daughter came to have a look at what was going on. And um, they are about to tuck into this food, not having had too much to eat. Um, but she said, just, just a minute, I just want to open the fridge and just look at what a full fridge looks like. She'd never really had that experience, living hand to mouth. Not everyone is prosperous, even in this country. Well, we'll come back to blessing and prosperity, but so much for the promise. What about the condition? Because it's not blessed are all, it says here. It says, blessed are all who fear the Lord. Or put another way, who walk in his ways, who follow his commandments, who live lives that are pleasing to him in accordance with his will. People who love God. Now, the danger with this is that it can very easily be misused. And when people who are, are struggling are told, and this we saw in Brazil a lot, uh, amongst the lower classes, people who are told, if you lead a good life, follow God's commandments, um, then you'll be prosperous. Your financial problems will be, be solved. Uh, I mean, particularly if you give to the Lord just the little you have, you'll get back much more. It's almost like a financial investment. Now, what's wrong with that, that way of thinking you might ask, because it doesn't seem far from what is being said here in the psalm, does it? But what is wrong is that what is being held up there as the thing that we need is prosperity. You know, the God that is really being worshipped in that situation is the God of prosperity. And it's tapping into that natural human sin of greed. You know, the answer to your problems is more money, and the way you'll get that is if you offer sacrifice to God. It's a sort of ritualistic worship of God, which is very different from what the Bible teaches us. The most important thing we are told in the Bible is not prosperity. It's a relationship with God. It's the worship of God. It's enjoying that relationship with him, walking in his ways, being at one with him. And it's in that relationship that we find true happiness and contentment and peace as the psalm ends, shalom. And when we know the security and peace of that relationship, then what we do is the same as the people of Israel did. When they received material blessing, they they took it back to God and gave him thanks. They recognized that all they had came from him, came out of his grace, not out of his debt to them. And so the verse for the week that we read... um, at the beginning of this service, is very relevant here, isn't it? Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. We give back to God what is already his. And acknowledges that God has the ability to bless, to prosper whom he chooses. We don't deserve that blessing, but if we do receive it, then we have much cause to give God thanks. But as with everything in the Old Testament, material blessings are pointing to, to Christ. Remember the Old Testament sacrifices as they pointed to Christ, that, that permanent sacrifice of himself that, that made it possible for us to, to know God, to have eternal life. Remember the Old Testament law, again, pointing to, to Christ as the only one who could perfectly keep that law. Pointing to a time when the Spirit would enable us to be changed from within and give us willing hearts to to obey that law. 
And so the Old Testament blessings point to the eternal spiritual blessings that we find in Christ, the ones that were read out in that passage earlier from Ephesians. Those spiritual blessings, the, the blessings that we have in Christ, that are the fact that we are chosen, we are adopted as his children. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are given the Holy Spirit. We don't live a life, a good life, to earn those blessings. God has chosen to bless us, and therefore we give him the praise, we show our gratitude by living good lives. I wonder how often in the, the middle of our, our busy lives, our stressful lives, with all the stresses and strains, do we just forget how blessed we are already in Jesus Christ if we are believers here this evening? Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't give us material blessings as well, and uh, we should give thanks to God for our homes, for our, our families, our work. We know also that God sometimes chooses to withhold his blessings when, when he wants to discipline us or to, to teach us something, maybe to point out an area in our lives where we're, where we're going wrong. Discipline comes out of love for someone. If your parents here this evening, I'm sure you'll have many times had to explain to your children that if you, you didn't care for them, if you weren't interested if you're only interested in an easy life, then you just let them get on and do what they wanted. But uh, we love them more than that, and we therefore need sometimes to withhold good things. Well, let's come on to the second psalm, which is very different, because um, the point comes out from this psalm is, they have oppressed me, they have oppressed me, but the Lord is righteous. He has set me free. They have oppressed me, but the Lord is righteous, he has set me free. This provides a strong counterbalance to Psalm 128, doesn't it? Because to to walk with God means we will receive his blessings. But it doesn't mean that we will not suffer persecution or or some other form of hardship. The psalmist takes his um, individual experience here, he says, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. And he turns it into this, this corporate expression of lament. Let Israel say, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Now, we don't know who they are, and we don't know what type of oppression this is. But clearly, it's quite severe, because he uses these images of plowmen plowing his back, making furrows, grooves, wounds into his back. Reminds us of the the stripes in Jesus' back as he was flogged before he was executed. The psalmist has suffered wounds. He's been enslaved, probably metaphorically speaking, possibly tied up by the cords of the wicked. And to be whipped as a punishment is one thing. To be whipped for something you've not done simply out of the cruelty of that person is another thing. That is why the song of uh, Fontaine and Les Miserables is so sad. She didn't deserve to be in that position. It was because of the oppression of others. But the key thing here is despite this oppression, despite the temptation to give up and say it is hopeless, there is a way out. The psalmist writes here, they have not gained the victory over me. Why not? Because the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. He has released me. 
The Les Miserables is another character who is also oppressed, the lead character, Jean Valjean, who's sentenced to five years for stealing a loaf of bread for his starving sister and her, her family, and another 14 years for trying to escape. When he's finally released, he tries to find work, but because he's got a criminal record, he can't, and he's left a homeless uh, on the streets and desperate. But a kind bishop takes him in, gives him shelter. But he abuses the, uh, the bishop's trust and he r- turns off and runs away with his uh, silverware. He's uh, caught by the police, brought back to the bishop and confronted with his crime. And quite incredibly, the bishop says, no, he didn't take it, I, I gave it to him. Oh, by the way, you've forgotten these two candlesticks as well, these silver candlesticks I, I meant to give you. It's that act of of grace, that undeserved loving kindness, which is just like the grace that God has shown to us, that gives Valjean hope. It makes him think that life is worth living. There is hope. It's not so desperate. But what is the psalmist's response to wickedness in this psalm? Well, it's twofold in many ways, isn't it? It's praising God on the one hand for the way he has saved him in the past. It's praising God for how he has delivered him in the past. These people oppressed him from his youth. When he was young, when he was innocent, when he was vulnerable. But he says they've not gained the victory over me. God has preserved him from them. God has cut him free from the cords of the wicked. He's rescued him from their influence. It's praising God for that rescue. But also it's praying that their their present, their future wickedness will not succeed. It says in verse 5, look, may all who hate Zion, in other words, all who oppose God, may all who hate God be turned back in shame. May they not succeed in their way. This is a request to God that he would stop them. Don't let them dishonor your name, God, the psalmist is crying out. He says, may... They'd be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. The complete opposite to, to fruitfulness. Instead of being able to take root and grow and be healthy, it, it withers, it dries up and dies. Let that happen to the efforts of the wicked, he's saying. Instead of gathering large armfuls of crops and fruit, it's not even a handful. And may those who pass by not say the blessing of the Lord be upon you, may people see their wickedness. May people not be taken in by them that they should pronounce a blessing on them. They don't fear God. They don't walk in his ways. They shouldn't receive his blessing. Well, how do we apply this to our our lives? Because I'm sure at some time we've all known oppression or maybe in its milder form uh, mistreatment, injustice, whether it's by a, a work colleague spreading or talking unfairly about us. Maybe it's a husband or wife who's oblivious to our needs. Maybe a child disrespecting us or a parent being unreasonable towards us. A friend being disloyal. What others can do or say can have a long-term impact on us, can't it? The question is, how do we deal with it? Do we spend time thinking, well... What would our lives have been like if this had not happened to us? Do we spend our time thinking about, how can I get my own back on that person? That person who's hurt me this way. 
Would we wallow in self-pity, refusing to, to deal with the issue? Just ignoring that person, not wanting to have anything to, to do with them? What all these different responses have in common is that they make what happens to us the most important thing in the world. And they make our feelings the most important measure of how happy or blessed our life is. And there are two things wrong with that. First of all, the Christian doesn't believe that he or she is the most important person. That is God. And the words of Psalm 128, fear the Lord, walk in his ways, are valid not just in good times, but also in bad times. That was what we heard from John earlier on, wasn't it? Despite all that's going on in Nigeria, we can still walk with the Lord. We heard from Abby how people are attempted to to take things into their own hands, to seek vengeance. But we can just fear the Lord and walk in his ways. As Christians, we love to please God. We love to witness for him. And we can do that through good times and we can do that through bad times. Through the good times, we can thank God He is the one from whom those blessings came. The one who loves to pour out good gifts for his people. But also through the bad things. That through them we know God's loving protection, his presence. We know his strength. And we know that God is in control of all things. That he can bring good out of evil. We've seen it in the the story of Joseph in Genesis. Remember that story when he says to his brothers right at the end, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. We've seen it in the story of Jesus himself, haven't we? How good comes out of evil. And we can see it in our own lives. God has told us that from Romans, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Out of those bad things, we can become more like Jesus. And that in many ways is the most powerful witness to unbelievers, because people don't expect it, do they? If good things happen to us and we thank God for them, that's fine, they'll, they'll put it down to maybe just good luck. <coughs> but, if good things happen, but if bad things happen to us and we still thank God, we still trust him in that, then that is much harder to understand, isn't it? And what we're doing in that is demonstrating that when we are sinned against, our feelings are not the most important measure of how blessed or how happy we are, because... Those feelings are often more about us, but blessing is far more than how we feel at that time. Blessing is to know that our future is secure, that Jesus has achieved the ultimate victory. Jesus has swallowed up death. Death has been swallowed up in his victory. It's like watching the uh, film of Les Mis when you've already seen the stage version. I did warn you there'd be lots of references there, didn't I? You know, you you look at um, Inspector Javert and you get worked up about just how cold, how lacking in grace and forgiveness he is. But you know what will happen to him. I won't tell you in case you haven't seen it. (laughs) And that is what it's like, isn't it? We know the future is secure. We know what will happen. 
And the best thing we can do in these situations is to meditate, to focus on our blessings. As it says in Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. The Psalms of Ascent are Psalms that the people of Israel sang on their way to Jerusalem to visit the temple of God. They were going to spend time with him. They were going to gaze upon his beauty. And instead of meditating on all the awful things that may have happened to us, spend time meditating on the beauty of God. Consider his love, his mercy, his grace, his patience, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his wisdom, his power, his forgiveness, his kindness. Think of what you have already received from him by way of blessing that your current oppression cannot take away. And if we have forgotten, then go back to Ephesians 1 and read it through again and again. Let it sink in. Remember that you've been set free from sin and death by the sacrifice of Jesus and that he did it because he loves you. We finish with a blessing from Psalm 128. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all the blessings that we have in Jesus. And we are sorry when we forget them. When we don't focus on them. When we allow our current difficulties and uh, injustice or oppression against us, our mistreatment to overshadow just the tremendous richness and prosperity that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has set free. We thank you that because of him, there is a victory, a victory that we can celebrate, we can rejoice in. And Lord, we pray that that blessing would characterize our lives, that that deep inner happiness and contentment would be seen by all that, um, that we meet. We know there'll be times when we are mistreated, that um, we will be the victims of injustice, and we pray that that wouldn't get us down, that we would respond in a a godly way, a Christ-like way, knowing that out of that good can come, that you can shape us into the people you want us to be. And through the way we respond to that, many will see you and give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Our final song is a song in which celebrates that great victory of Jesus over death uh, that he achieved through his resurrection. See what a morning, gloriously bright. Let's stand to sing.